Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Now, each week at Harvest this fall, we're studying uh, one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And today we come to Jonah. So let's... Let's try to make a phone call to Jonah. Let's see if we can, we can get him, okay? Let's uh, get our high-tech phone here and ring, ring. Well, I, I, I think it's going right to his voicemail. I think it's going right to it. Hello, this is Jonah, son of Amittai. I'm out of the office on a Mediterranean vacation where the waters are rough And the marine life is very large. If you're interested in a link to my recent sermons about the expansion of the northern kingdom, press 1. If you'd like to inquire about my three-hour tours aboard the SS Minnow, press 2. And if you're God asking me to go on a short-term mission trip to preach to people I don't know, like, or really want to repent, please call back another time. As we look at Jonah today, there's one very, very clear lesson. And that is to accomplish the will of God, we must capture the heart of God. To accomplish the will of God, we must capture the heart of God. Now, here's a quick summary of the book of Jonah. Four short chapters, 42 verses, I think it is. Chapter 1, God calls and Jonah runs. Chapter 2, fish swallows and Jonah prays. Chapter 3, Jonah preaches and Nineveh repents. And chapter 4, God trains Jonah. Let's walk through each one of these chapters. The first chapter God calls and Jonah runs. This is how the Old Testament book of Jonah opens up. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, Jonah was a prophet in the first half of the 8th century B.C., so 800 or more years before the birth of Jesus Christ was Jonah. Now, some people, many people perhaps, have a hard time believing a story like Jonah. Many people are very familiar with it. It's interesting. Last week, we came to the prophet Obadiah, and almost nobody had ever heard a sermon on Obadiah. Today, we come to a sermon on Jonah, and almost everybody has heard a sermon on Jonah. Some people have a hard time believing it. How could a whale swallow somebody And they survive. Well, in the original language, it doesn't say whale. It really uses the word for great fish. And a narrow's, uh, a a whale's gullet would be so narrow that would make it uh, virtually impossible to swallow anyway. But a great fish swallowed Jonah. And it is hard to believe. I admit, it's very hard to believe that a man could be swallowed and survive for three days. There have been in modern, relatively modern history, there have been some accounts of people being swallowed by large sea animals and surviving, but 
That's not where I go to to base my belief in this story. Let me tell you something that would be harder than that. A harder thing than that would be for somebody to live on the earth and walk right in front of everybody and right in front of everybody be nailed to a cross and die and be buried and stay in the ground for three days and then rise from the dead and appear to more than 500 people, right? That's what Jesus Christ did. And that proved that he was not an ordinary man, not just a religious or good leader or teacher. It proved that he was the son of God. And guess what? If you read Matthew chapter 12, I think it's verse 49, 39 to 41, Jesus believed that Jonah was swallowed by the whale and came up. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, so shall the son of man be. And that's really kind of enough proof for me. If Jesus believes it, then I want to believe it, right? (laughs) Well, here's the word that comes to him. Here's what God says to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up Before me, now in Jonah's day, Nineveh was a major metropolitan area in Assyria, which is modern day northern Iraq. Um, The city that he was told to go to, Nineveh, would have been probably a couple hundred miles north of Baghdad. The, the the, The Assyrians were brutal, oppressing enemies of Israel where Jonah lived. And so God is telling Jonah to go to the very area where the enemies are. You'll remember maybe from Bible history that the Assyrians are the ones that are going to take the ten northern tribes of Israel into captivity. They're going to come in and destroy their land and take them away. This is where God is telling him to go. How would you like that assignment from God? (laughs) You might do what Jonah did in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So here's a little map to give you an idea about where this is. Jonah, you can see Nineveh there. It's 500, about 550 miles from Joppa to Nineveh and Jonah there is in the land of Israel and he goes down to Joppa and where does he go? Does he go the 550 miles to Joppa? No, he gets on a ship that's going to Tarshish in that direction. (laughs) 2,200 miles away. In other words, he is going as far as he could get from God, he thinks, right? He's probably going to a place where he thinks, oh, well, there'll be no followers of Yahweh, God's name in the Old Testament. There'll be no followers of Yahweh there. I'm going to go far, far away. It was as far west as you could go in the known world of that time. One one pastor gives this analogy that's helpful for us to, to grasp it in our terms today. To call Jonah to go to the Ninevites was like would be like asking a Jewish person from New York to go to Hitler in Germany and tell him that God loved him 
and that everything he did would be forgiven if he would only repent. So the Jewish person, rather than going to Germany, gets on a train to San Francisco and from there takes a ship to Japan. Right? This is what Jonah is doing. I don't want anything to do with that. Right? Verse 4. So he gets on the ship and the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So in the ancient world, these pagan people believed in a multitude of gods and they believed that each god was in charge of certain things. And so some gods would be over agriculture and some would be over the the, the, the ocean and storms and this and that and the other. And they would have known that their own or believe that their own personal family gods wouldn't have caused this. So they're crying out to their various gods to maybe one of these deities can put in a good word to the deity who's causing this storm and stop it. And it doesn't stop. So they're like, we got to figure out who's, who's in charge or who's responsible for this. So they decide to cast lots. Let's cast lots and let's find out and guess who the lot lands on. <laughs> Jonah. Who happens to be down in the bottom of the ship asleep? So the captain goes to get him and they interrogate him. They want to find out, who are you, man? You're the one that's caused this, apparently. And down in verse 9 of chapter 1, he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Not a good idea to run away from the Lord. If you're going to do it, you might not want to tell everybody that's what you're doing. <laughs> um, so the sea gets rougher and rougher. And, and they're like, what should we do, Jonah? And Jonah's like, throw me overboard. The, you know, the, God will take me and then you guys will be fine. And they didn't want to do that. So they kept trying other things and they offloaded cargo and this and that and they realized they weren't they were about to die themselves they they were about to get shipwrecked themselves so finally they do what Jonah told them to do and they throw Jonah overboard and boom it stops the storm stops and they pray <laughs> and they thank God for that and they ask God to forgive them for what they think is killing Jonah chapter 2 actually begins at what in our English Bibles is verse 17 of chapter 1. It's the last verse of 1 in English. The fish swallows and Jonah prays. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now why did God do it this way? God was saving Jonah's life. But he was also training Jonah. God could have done it all kind of ways, but he uh, sovereignly chose to have the storm come up, to have them throw Jonah into the sea, to have the fish swallow him. And then eventually we're going to see the fish spit him out. This was a vivid object lesson to Jonah about how empty and foolish and hard Life is out of the will of God. Jonah was doing his will. And God was reminding him that your will, Jonah, is not the path 
to peace and prosperity. So from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. Jonah was as good as dead when he went off that ship, right? And he cries out to God and, and God hears him. And he's about to experience new life. What else is there to do when you've got seaweed all around your head? Down in verse 7, part of this, as he's saying, and when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, remembering God is more than just bringing God to your mind, but it means acknowledging God. It means surrendering to God, realizing who God is. So it's like he didn't remember God at first. He wanted to do his own thing. But now, okay, now I remembered God. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. This is a great verse. Well, they're all great verses, but the, the gospel, we're getting little hints of the gospel. Hundreds of years before Jesus, salvation comes from the Lord because the Old Testament, of course, was written mostly in Hebrew. There are a few chapters in Daniel that are in Aramaic, but most of it's in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for salvation comes from the root Yeshua. The name for Jesus. Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. Matthew one twenty one. She will give birth to a son, Mary that is, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because what does Jesus mean? It means God will save. God will save his people from their sins. So at that point, God's like, okay, I, maybe he's getting it. I don't know that he said that exactly. That's my... Verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 3, Jonah preaches and Nineveh repents. I, I think we should try to call him again, don't you? Let's see if he answers this time. Hello, you've reached the voicemail of Jonah, son of Amittai. I'm out of the office on a business trip to the far east. And unfortunately, I've just learned I've been having some problems with my voicemail lately. Because of these problems, I haven't been able to receive my messages or respond to them. If you've left an earlier message for me and have not heard back, please leave a second message. If you're a friend, a potential contributor to the Jonah Revival Crusade ministry team, and especially if you're God, please leave a second message. That's what chapter 3 is about. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I love that, don't you? <laughs> you mean Jonah, this prophet that went the total opposite direction? He's done, right? No, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
I don't know how many of you answered God's call the very first time you heard him speaking, but I think there are a lot of us he's, he's had to talk to at least twice <laughs> or three times or four or more, right? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to it the message I, I, I give you. Now, in the original, this great city of Nineveh, it, there's an idiom here that's literally translated Noah, uh, Noah. Nineveh was a great city to God. Nineveh was probably a great city in that culture, but it was a great city to God. People are important to God. All people matter to God. It doesn't matter what they look like, what color they are, what race they are, what religion they are. All people matter to God. And that's part of the message. That's fundamental to the message of Jonah, that everybody matters to God. Even these Assyrians who were full of false gods and evil and wickedness and astrology, they mattered to God. It was a great city to God. And they had invented these deities, these gods that oppressed them. And they were always trying to appease them and God knew they needed a message, and that's why he's sending Jonah. So verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, Jonah announced that Nineveh would be overthrown. That's an interesting choice of words that the writer has given here because that word in the original, overthrown, can kind of have two different meanings. The first one is turned over or destroyed, which appears to be the meaning on the surface, but it also could mean at the other end of the spectrum, turned around. Or brought to repentance. And obviously the Ninevites, as they heard this, they took it to mean the first thing. That, oh, we're going to be destroyed. But it seems to be understood that the warning of destruction carried in it an, an implication that if you repent, then you won't be destroyed, but you might be turned around. And they did that. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, not only the people all repented, the king of Nineveh heard about it, and he ordered a fast, and he ordered them to repent, and made a proclamation. And in verse 10, when God saw what what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is a stunning turn of events right here. And in many ways, wouldn't it be great if the book of Jonah ended right there, right? Here's Jonah, disobeyed God, went the other direction, gets in the fish, repents, it seems, goes and preaches anyway. And they and they repent and everybody's happy ever after. But chapter 4, God still is training Jonah. Because in spite of that, you would have thought Jonah would have been really, really happy that these wicked people are now repenting. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Hmm. 
he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. You know, it's never good in an argument to say, didn't I tell you that? <laughs> didn't I? And especially you're talking to God. God, didn't I tell you that? I knew this is what was going to happen. <laughs> I knew you were going to, you, you were compassionate, right? Jonah missed a lot of things about God. But he nails it right here in this verse. He, he, the, the, the character of God, he, he nailed it. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah wanted to put God in a box, his own box. Oh, these are the people that are worthy to be forgiven, not these, right? So he makes this request, God, just, just go on and take my life. And of course, God doesn't, doesn't do it because the issue is not Jonah's longevity. The issue is Jonah's attitude. And he needs to change. So God asked him a question. There are three questions in chapter 4. That God asks very important questions. And here's the first of them, first one of them in verse four. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? These people have repented, and you're angry about it. Because you didn't think they were worthy of it. And God gives Jonah an object lesson. Jonah builds this crude shelter so he can sit there and watch what's going to happen. You know, maybe sit the 40 days out and see if they really do get destroyed or whatever. And Jonah gets shade, and for the first time in the book, Jonah's happy. He's happy about the wrong thing. He's happy about his own creature comfort now. He's happy because he's finally got some shade, and God... God has this plant grow up over it and provide some more shade. But God is like, you know, I'm, I, I, need to, I need to intensify this object lesson. So he provides a worm to eat the plant, destroy, the, to destroy it. And now the, and he sends this wind from the east that's hot. We don't know how, what the temperature was. It could be well over 100 degrees in the, in the Mediterranean often. So he was hot and scorched. And Jonah's mad about that. And God asked him another question in verse 9. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So he's mad about the people repenting. He's mad about losing his plant. And then God makes an observation and asks a third question. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left, and also many animals? Jonah, shouldn't, shouldn't I 
care about these 120,000 people who are morally incapable of knowing what's right and wrong? That's what this idiom for the right hand and the left is. And that's how God viewed these wicked, evil citizens of Nineveh. He had compassion on them. They, they were morally depraved and they couldn't uh, tell the difference between good and evil. Now remember, the essence of the story of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's not about the fish. It's not about Jonah's sermon. It's not even about the people of Nineveh repenting. The essence of the story of Jonah is the heart of God. It's who God is. And what is God's heart like? And how does he think about people? How does he think about all people? How does he think about people that aren't like us or who don't live near us or worship God like we worship God? This is a book about God's heart. And God is training Jonah to capture his heart. It's interesting that the book of Jonah ends with a question. (laughs) Isn't it right, Jonah? Well, let me wrap it up or start to wrap it up. Don't want to give you too much encouragement too quickly. There are five lessons about God here, and we're going to start with number two and work our way down. I'm going to save number one for last because I'm going to just tell you up front. Number one is the fundamental lesson in the book of Jonah. They're written on your outline sheet, but we're going to, I want to remind you what the lesson is and how we should respond accordingly. So number two is God is committed to train his people in his ways. Jonah apparently was not very grace-oriented. He didn't want to show compassion to those people. He was probably okay showing compassion to some people, but... But not to them. And so God trained him by sending him to rock bottom so that he would have nowhere else to look but up. And God trains us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're one of God's family, he trains you. He talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12. You know, every good parent trains our children because we love them. And that's the way God is with us. So our response to God's training is to surrender and obey. Now, the primary application clearly in the book of Jonah is obey God in going sharing his message with everybody. That's the primary obedience, no doubt. But you could apply this in a secondary sense to any sort of obedience that God wants you to have. We should obey. God will train us to obey. You can, you don't have to get on a ship and sail west to quote, get away from God. You can sit in a church pew and have the wrong attitude or not care about people or only be willing to forgive some people or maybe have pride or sexual impurity or whatever the sin might be. The next lesson is God is gracious to hear and responds to our cries of distress. And it's very clear, obvious response there is cry out to him. Are you in distress? Cry out to God. He does hear. Number four, God often gives second chances. God often gives second chances. The Bible is full of characters. I don't have time to list them. I made a list, but I want to just mention a couple of them. Think about Peter, the apostle Peter, who denied Christ three times, but ended up 
getting a second chance and becoming the person who preached the very first Christian sermon in Acts chapter 2 and thousands were saved and the church was born. Or maybe the prodigal son who left home and dishonored his father, but he came back. I do want to caution us not to presume on God's grace, though. We should appreciate God's grace. This text in no way guarantees that God will give us a second chance. He's giving Jonah a second chance. It's not a guarantee that that we will. We shouldn't presume on God and say, well, you know what, I'll just go out and disobey and It'll somehow in the that that's presuming on God's grace. There were people in the Bible who didn't get a second chance, right? Think about Esau who sold his birthright to Jacob to get some food and he regretted it for the rest of his life. He didn't get a second chance. Or Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit about what they had how much they had sold their land for and they were going to give it to the church and they didn't get a second chance. They were struck down. God is sovereign. So when it comes to God and his grace, if you sense a tugging from God in your heart, appreciate it. And maybe some of you might be sensing a tug right now that you're not close to the Lord. You haven't been close to the Lord and you need him and you want to come back to him. Well, that means he's given you a chance. But don't take it for granted. The, the response is start over today. Start over today. Number five, God shows compassion to those who repent. And the answer or the response is to repent, right? Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I don't think Jonah ever really repented in the book of Jonah. I don't think he ever really got it. He, he seems to keep bumping his head up against God's will and God's heart. He prayed to God, but we don't read that he said, Lord, I'm wrong. I've hated those people. I've been prejudiced against them. I had a narrow nationalism. He, we don't hear those words from Jonah. And the book exposes his heart, but it also exposes God's heart, as does one of the most famous and loved verses of all time, right? John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. Let's go back to lesson one. Number one lesson about God is God is sovereign and relentless in his pursuit of sinful, needy people. Think about everything God did in the book of Jonah to reach the people of Nineveh. He called Jonah. Jonah disobeyed. So he gets on the ship. What does he do? He used that particular ship and those particular sailors, uh, that particular storm. Their actions, and he sent the right fish with the right size mouth to come right at the exact right time, spit him out at just the right time. He was sovereign all along the way. He spoke to Jonah a second time and gave him another chance. He gave, he opened the hearts of the people in Nineveh to accept the message. God is, 
God is just relentless. I love that about God. He is relentless to pursue sinful people. He cares about sinful people. He wants sinful people to repent and to come to him. That's what 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says. Jesus came, why? To seek and save who? The lost. And our response to the relentless God that we serve is we need to seek the lost everywhere. Jonah was given a task. He ran away from it. You and I, as Christians, are given a task, and that is to go make disciples of all nations. Are we going to run away from it? Are we going to say, oh, that somebody else can do that? Are we going to capture the heart of God and get involved ourselves? That's the lesson of Jonah. If you, if you see God's heart, I think it'll affect how you view the people in your neighborhood and the people that your kids play sports with. They won't just fade into oblivion in the busyness of life, but there'll be people for whom Christ died. It could change the way we see teenage moms or people who have a lot lower income than you do or college students from other countries, or refugees. If we get God's heart, it will change the way we view missions. What, what a great day for Noel and Raina to be here on a day that we happen to come across Jonah. Thank you for your heart, brother. We see the heart of God in you. And we want to have the heart of God for missions. That's why we give generously to missions. Let me ask you a question. Who are the modern-day Ninevites in your world? (laughs) And what's your attitude towards them? Who are the people that are you don't particularly care to reach out to? Maybe they live far, far away from you on the other side of the world. Or maybe they're not like you. Maybe they're a different race than you are. Maybe they're Hispanic or black or white. Maybe they're Muslim or gay or they're a flaming liberal or a flaming conservative. (laughs) Or maybe they're a transgender activist. They're different than you are. Who are the people that you want to put in that box? Like Jonah put people in the box. How do you respond to people whose lifestyles are very distasteful for you. I'm not, I'm not talking about it. compromising on the truth. We're, we're going to stand on the truth of God's word, and we should. And just because our world is all messed up, we're not going to say, oh, well, okay, everything's all right. That, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people now. <laughs> talking about compassion for the people who aren't our enemy, but they're the victim of the enemy, Satan. And their minds and lives are as distorted as the people of Nineveh were with all those false gods, right? How do you respond to those people? Do you jump on social media and bash them? (laughs) Or do you come beside them and love them and 
get a nickname like Jesus. Uh, let's see, what was his nickname? Oh, friend of sinners who went and hung out with the tax collectors and prostitutes and ate dinner with them. So practically, just can I encourage you just to build relationships with people, no matter whether they're like you or not? And can I encourage you to join existing ministries at Harvest that are that are reaching people for Christ, like the student ministry, like English as a second language or whatever it may be. And if you don't know what the next step is, contact some, and a pastor or elder and we'll help you. Here's God's word. This is what we have to take away to accomplish the will of God. We must capture the heart of God. His heart is big. And I want to add just a little bit to it. So if you're taking notes, there might be just a little bit more room in that box for you to put this in. Compassion for all people. Compassion for all people. Thomas John Carlyle wrote a little book of poems on Jonah. And he ended it with this little short one. Two sentences. And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonahs in their comfortable houses to come around. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.